0: Hello, Edward. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. How are you, Anne?
0: I'm great as well. Uh, Thanks for joining our podcast, The uh, New Finance, today. I'm very excited to have you here again. Um, So let's get started. Sounds good. So, um, yeah, I think lots of things have been happening, uh, so we can... Talk to the audience about like what's new in the crypto space, um, why there's like a downtrend in the Bitcoin verse right now, and we can talk about different projects in the DeFi universe and what does that mean. Um, we can also talk a bit about Metaverse too because it's still like such a hot topic right now and everyone is talking about it. So yeah, what do you want to talk about first?
1: I guess we can talk about the uh. Correction that Bitcoin is it's having since its uh, uh 69k all time high. Um, we've seen quite a bit of correction, including the one last night where uh, Bitcoin corrected all the way down to 42,000, and we saw Ethereum at uh, 3,400, which is a huge uh, correction from where they've been just uh, less than a month ago, where uh, Bitcoin was at 69k. So Bitcoin basically, in this correction, uh, corrected for about uh, 39%. That's a pretty big drop in value. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, so in terms of like uh, Bitcoin going down, what do you think like, caused the correction to happen?
1: Well, there are multitude of factors, um, and you know, sometimes it's not uh, entirely predictable when these crashes tend to happen. But usually when crashes do happen, it's because of uh, several things. One, it's because the excessive leverage that's being used in the market. Um, the Bitcoin open interest would track for the open interest of futures and options for Bitcoin. Uh, is basically, was basically at an all-time high uh, when we're at 69K, $69,000. Um, and since then, we have seen a leverage flush uh, and the first one being flushing the leverage. Uh, we had a crash all the way to 53K and then it sort of recovered from that level. And of course, the flush leverage flush last night, about $2 billion of crypto was essentially liquidated in a matter of one hour of the uh, flash crash we had last night so leverage is also uh, it's definitely one of the uh, reasons when crashes like these happen the other factor is likely because of uh, the increase of numbers of short-term speculators versus long-term investors now um, whenever uh, short-term speculators start to take over the Percentage uh, of the trading or the volume that's being traded in the market, they uh, tend to be more like uh, paper hands. So, you know, they don't hold on to their token a lot. And some some of them even use leverage. So, you know, when things like this do happen, they don't see the value go up in a matter of uh, weeks or Uh, days and they tend to they tend to sell and especially if they're using leverage some of them would be auto liquidated by the exchange or uh, the brokers they're using to trade these uh, these assets so that's another reason Um, and so far I would say you know looking at the on-chain fundamentals which um, you you'll be able to um, get an idea of you know the uh, on-chain fundamentals, uh, which are, uh, you know, you can use tools like Glassnode or Cryptocon.com to assess, you know, what are the percentage distribution of long-term holders? What are some of the volume and, and, and price points that people are buying and selling Bitcoins at? Um, what a, how, how much percentage of the Bitcoin is held by long-term holders? How much is being held by whale wallets? So, using these analysis I have to say that nothing fundamentally on chain has changed since uh, perhaps the summer of 2021 however uh, we do see that price price wise Bitcoin had really struggled lately uh, you know had a hard time breaking through that all-time high of 65k and just when everyone thought that it would be Making another all-time high, it, it started this correction uh, down to you know forty forty two k. Now, of course, it took a period of this took a period of uh, roughly a month to get to this point. But you know, the correction as we record this podcast is still happening. And I think the third factor that contributed to uh, this shakiness of, of Bitcoin it's perhaps a factor outside of Bitcoin and crypto itself. It is perhaps because The investors in the traditional finance markets, in the equities market, uh, are failing pressure from the south side. Um, You know, this we're talking about the Omicron virus scare uh, that is uh, perpetuating in everyone's mind right now. Uh, And also the tapering fear from the Fed. Uh, You know, we've been talking for months now that the the Fed may taper any moment now or the Fed may... um, uh, you know, put their plan to taper uh, much earlier now because inflation is not a really big concern for the Fed now. So um, all these factors really we saw even in the equities market, a shift from uh, risk on asset to risk off assets. Lots of stocks sold off last Friday as well. So am um, not surprised that Bitcoin and crypto really struggled in the meantime because they've been largely viewed as a risk asset by traditional finance investors. So I think these three factors probably caused a great deal of um, pain in the Bitcoin and crypto market lately.
0: Yeah, that's actually a very good point. I think following the whales is a huge indicator of Bitcoin prices. And Bitcoin and other cryptos as we know is a very volatile space just because of the futures market finance liquidity and all of these things that makes it like extremely volatile so i think a correction like this is pretty bound to happen also um i just want to add to that it's actually partly because of omicron um the COVID. so although like bitcoin is a good diversificator for your portfolio it still kind of like trails the actual stock market to a certain extent like during the 2020 march um when pandemic first hit bitcoin also had a crash so it's quite correlated um and i think it's happening again because of the new variant of COVID and things being it's gonna happen again and what that means is that we might have to like people have been talking about like tightening the federal reserves um and of the policies but now does that mean that we're going to have to start pumping money again are we going to go into another lockdown is that going to affect the economy that really that type of uncertainty is going to affect the price of bitcoin and that's more on the macroeconomic side as well um and i think like going forward um like i think in the like every recession as well like the 3 years around the first incidence is always has a lot of high uncertainty um and that's where people would make a lot of investment opportunities or lose a lot of investment money as well uh, but i think that as long as we keep learning about this base um. Every recession, there's always something new and like new innovation that happens, uh, and in this case, it's definitely the metaverse. So let's switch over to that topic. Like, um, like, what's one of your favorite like metaverse projects right now? Like, can you talk more about your opinion on that?
1: The metaverse project. Um, I I think there are a lot of uh, hype in the space. Um, I think we talked about this last time briefly about. Uh, metaverse and um, you know, since Facebook changed its name we've seen a lot of tractions for game tokens um, game finance tokens so um, lots of NFT projects now have their own governance tokens now uh, or, and lots of game projects have uh, a dual um, I would say a dual purpose investing they would have their NFT projects which are um, you know, NFTs. They launch their NFTs and make uh, a return that way. that also have their uh, in-game currencies, uh, which uh, um, is their basically a, a token. And you know, you could use, you can transact this as an in-game currency in the uh, in their own version of the game, which is you know a metaverse by itself. Um, <clears throat> but in terms of the Projects, Project-wise, I'd say I have yet to see a really good Metaverse project that I I feel like this is the one, Uh, maybe except for Access Infinity because it just has so much traction and so much active users every day. And I feel like that project, it's here to stay. But the rest of the GameFi projects I've seen, I've yet to see one that make me think this is going to stay here in the long run versus that this is just something that happens when the market is the whole market is doing well and um that is probably not gonna be here in a couple years except for access infinity
0: yeah you're right i think there's a lot of good projects that are coming out of like uh, th- these spaces. Actually, Infinity is huge, but there's also a lot of like growing pains that they have as well in terms of scalability issues and um, ability to sustain the play-to-earn play business model. Um, that's been quite a uh, for people. So, uh, like in terms of Axie Infinity. Uh, it comes from Vietnam, like there's actually a lot of like projects that are coming from like Southeast Asia, Israel, uh, Czech Republic, like these um, ex-communist countries, right? Like, that's quite interesting. And the concept of cryptocurrency is also like this decentralized organization, which is like power back to the people. Um, It's kind of like similar philosophy to communism in a way, like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, I think it's uh, really great that um, these countries can take advantage of, um, of crypto and, you know, become more of a hub or innovation hub for crypto projects. Um, you know, one thing that we know for sure in the age of information technology is that talent is global Uh, everyone no matter where you are you have the same you could have the same skill set in building a projects in the web right Um, this is as true as for uh, web 2.0 as web 3.0 where uh, as long as you have the talent uh, the skills that it's involved in you know building your projects and uh, you can really leverage that and and even building uh, a fantastic projects in a Country or place where in the past that hasn't been very successful in economic activities. Um, especially, you know, if in certain countries, like uh, for example, Southeast Asian countries and, and East European countries, uh, they can take advantage of the lower cost of capital. There's probably lower cost of living there. Um, so you can build a project for really cheap and market it and sell it to uh, the rest of the world uh, where they would have a, a premium uh, placed on your projects. If you're, say, your good amount of users uh, it's coming from North American uh, or from West European countries, uh, they'll probably place a premium on what you could have got had your user base been based off your own country.
0: Hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah, you're right about that one. Um, in terms of like axi infinity though, uh, I realized that a lot of people around the world is like actually doing this play to earn model, um, but they're also like hiring other people. Like they're like some U.S. or Canadian people who have that money difference to like third world country. They would go online and hire people in the Philippines to play these video games for them and give them a certain amount of cut. In that way they can generate like passive income of like fifteen hundred dollars a month that's kind of crazy um but in terms of like sustainability of the business model xe also has its own competitors um and they they do provide like actually lots of value to the crypto space because they actually teaches you how um, the blockchain works like uh, it allows you to understand crypto market, the building blocks of online worlds and financial system that is powered by tokens and can trade on digital ledgers. And they in- created an entire economy and replete with businesses that a lot of you know, players can actually build a business to survive on. And it's purely from like Pokemon itself. But um, wealthier countries can afford these, but like, you know, countries like Vietnam or Philippines, each of these non fungible tokens are very expensive for them. It would take them like three months' salary just to get one Axie. So this gap kind of creates like this weird dynamic for people to enter a game. And also the economy of where you need to keep breeding new monsters and you need new money coming in sold to new players um, like can we sustainably continue to get new players growth uh, that will make that remain in balance because to keep this axis economy going like they really rely on having more and more people come in as well so i think that leads to a pretty interesting problem for A lot of these crypto projects like yes they are very successful right now you know they 10x in a month but can they sustainably lead this for the next you know 10 years
1: yeah that's something that's really hard to say uh and you can probably say the same thing for majority of the projects out there i i wouldn't think that you know by the time that this bull market ends i wouldn't think that um you know there's more than 100 projects that would that would survive and really make it to the next cycle i mean they may still exist but not to the extent that it used to and uh, and perhaps never reaching its uh, token price and token price and all time high again compared to the previous cycle and that's what we see every time it's it's a very fierce competition going from cycle to cycle um, the ability to survive multiple cycles really adds to your token resume. It really adds to the resilience of your token. Um, you know, for example, if you take something like Bitcoin, it has survived so many cycles and always, always remained on the top of each cycle. Um, not only it was the first cryptocurrency created, but it was able to maintain that lead, that market lead, even though, you know, altcoins and Ethereum have taken a huge chunk of market share from Bitcoin now compared to its early days, but it has always remained number one uh, in the charts. You know, no, no crypto has surpassed Bitcoin in value. In the future, there might be, but so far uh, in multiple cycles, it has proven to stay here in number one. And that's what makes, you know, in a way makes Bitcoin so valuable because it survived so many bear market survived so many floods so many uh events negative shock events that could have destroyed it for good but it recovered every time so every time it survives something like that it really adds to the value of the token itself and I think ethereum is uh you know this is only the second cycle for ethereum by the way so I think ethereum is it has a lot more to prove for itself but so far so far, it seems like in in the grand scheme of things, in this cycle, Ethereum it's looking very strong, which is um, proof of stake transitions with how much it outperformed Bitcoin and the rest of the altcoin market. Ethereum is looking really good. Uh, however, you know we have yet to see uh, in future cycles. You know if this will continue, maybe will not. But um, that's something that we have to see in the future. Uh, Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to watch.
0: Yeah, definitely. I totally agree with that. Um, So in terms of like being able to uh, know what, how to identify good projects, like, let's say we are looking at DeFi or metaverse projects, like what makes it good? Like what makes people should like buy it?
1: Well, This is, um, I guess this is something that really um, personal and individualized for different people because it depends on what your goal is, right? Um, You know, if you are someone who's looking at this as an asset that you want to invest in, uh, you may have uh, different investment horizons right? short term and long term investing, you may have different risk tolerance and how much you're willing to allocate this uh, crypto asset overall. So it's really hard to say what someone should buy or what someone should do in this market. But a few things that I, um, you know, I take it as my personal conviction for crypto is that uh, there are a couple of things. Number one, it's that I fundamentally as of the uh, as of this point in this uh, market cycle, I see Bitcoin as a store of value. Uh, even though it's highly volatile, we've seen this crash from um, you know sixty nine k to forty two k just like that in a matter of a month, right? Corrected by thirty nine percent. Regardless, I still see it as a store of value in the long run. And uh, the key thing about the historic value argument and narrative is that, true, it is just a narrative. It's a story that we told ourselves. However, um, the longer the story continues without being invalidated, more people would jump on board of in agreement in this uh, narrative and the stronger the narrative grows over time. And unless you have, you know, unless, you know, we have Satoshi himself who has over a million Bitcoin, rug pulling everyone and, you know, selling all his Bitcoin for U.S. dollars. Uh, You know, it's really hard for a single player to invalidate this store value argument. And I think this narrative will keep growing stronger in the future years. Now, that's a future based prediction. It may not come true, but I have conviction on it. Uh, enough for me to see Bitcoin as a store of value in the long run, and enough for me to treat Bitcoin as sort of a savings account for myself uh, that I would not access for a long time, but I will keep uh, putting some uh, fiat currencies, fiat converting it to Bitcoin, and storing it in a value over the long run. And the second crypto project I've been bullish on this cycle is Ethereum. Um, Ethereum saw so much potential being the first smart contract that's ever launched. In uh, the last crypto cycle, we had thousands of new projects launching ICO based on the Ethereum smart contract. And of course, most of those tokens projects ended up being bubbles. Uh, and Ethereum itself also you know, crashed about, I think about 90%, if not more, in the last cycle. And it basically, you know, it went from uh, a red hot uh, commodity that people people saw, you know, there are so many use cases that could be built on it to uh, all the hopes just vanished uh, over the bear market in 2018 to 2020. And of course, this cycle started again with Bitcoin's having and with the innovations that are new to the space, such as decentralized finance, such as uh, tokenizing assets, such as NFT, such as self organizing DAOs, and many, many different new innovations revived Ethereum again. And now Ethereum is, again, one of the hottest projects out there because uh, there's just so much that's being built on top of Ethereum's layer. So Ethereum, it's another asset that I'm really bullish on in the long run. I think, you know, the team, um, the Ethereum team and the users that it currently has, once we, once Ethereum makes a a smooth transition to ETH 2.0, a transition to the proof of stake model, as long as that transition is successful, I think this uh, space will keep growing and it will keep uh, innovating, uh, keep bringing in new users Ethereum ecosystem, and my my thought is that Ethereum and market cap could probably overtake Bitcoin in the future, and that is because Bitcoin's narrative it's it's very limiting. It is a store of value. But as we know, store value only has limited values. even for gold it has a market cap of 11 trillion dollars only. But Ethereum, it's different. It is a smart contract. It has a lot of mechanisms that almost can be viewed as a decentralized um, you know growth equities, right If we may put it that way. Um, so Ethereum is, you know, looking at the valuation of something that can be uh, almost of uh, infinitely growing uh, equities that are just bringing new users all the time. Uh, and, and there's so much growth ahead of itself that this could be viewed almost like, uh, you know, a cash flow based uh, growth stock. So um, that we know for in this prospect. The valuation can go a lot higher than just a store value uh, narrative. So, uh, bullish on Ethereum and also bullish on uh, several uh, layer one projects that I think are up and coming that would really hold themselves against Ethereum as viable competitions over time. Now, um, one of the projects would be Solana. I think Solana, I saw what I saw with Solana, it's a lot of uh, resemblance of early of Ethereum's early days, uh, lots of similarities. Um, you know, the key argument here being Solana is uh, centralized, too centralized. Uh, true, while it is centralized, because that is probably the, early, uh, the, the easiest way to get started early on. Uh, even Ethereum in the last cycle, its beginnings was quite centralized. And it eventually decentralized over time as they grow more users. And as the ecosystem gets bigger, as more, uh, more and more Ethereum gets allocated different wallets over time, so if uh, Solana, I, I do see with Solana, I do see a lot of uh, signs that make me think that it could be a viable com- competitor of Ethereum, um, not only in this cycle but perhaps in the future cycles as well. So um, it is something that I'm also uh, bullish about. And of course, other projects here and there, um, I'm always looking to innovate a little with uh, the uh, asset that I have, uh, you know, with the crypto space. It's, it's about the learning experience. I think uh, everything in the space is so new. Um, I, I like to think like if you spend a week in crypto, it's like you spend a year in a traditional market. So many new things are happening on a constant, constant basis. So um, if you fail to learn about any one of the new things it could really become the next big thing. So it's really important that you keep learning, keep innovating, uh keep playing around with the system. Um you know, keep you know, keep innovating and keep keep playing around with uh the money that you do have. So it, it's not about you know uh making 100x returns. Uh it's about learning um, what are the narratives? What are the new innovations? And how can we, uh, you know, capitalize on that? Uh, not only for now, but in the long run as well. So, for example, in the past um, a week or so, I purchased my uh, first NFT. Uh, it's an NFT based on the Solana chain, and I've learned so much about uh, NFT projects uh, in the past uh, past week or so. Um, and you know, that's a very valuable learning experience. Even though you know in terms of valuation my nft has probably dropped by 20 percent ish in value uh, but you know that's a tuition that i will pay in the short run Um, other innovations and other tokens that i've um uh, you know played around with include uh governance tokens uh like for example most recently the people dao who they were trying to buy the u.s constitutions so um these are different you know, types of uh, investment that I, that I do hold and do uh, experiment with.
0: Yeah, I really, I really, really like that you say that it's um, tuition because that's what a lot of people forget. Like, yes, it's also investments, but you're actually ahead of the game with everyone. This is how many people in the world actually are involved in the space like you are being one of the first mover and early adopters that are learning about this right now and people in 10 years might have to catch up and relearn that and we saw that with the adoption of facebook and and the same thing with here as well so um question for you like uh you talked about like solana versus ethereum like what do you think makes solana a good competitor of ethereum like do you think they're transaction rates makes make a difference, like, um, what's the value out there?
1: Um, <clears throat> on the technology itself, um, right, uh, Ethereum, I mean, I think it, it's an experience which you have to try uh, yourself to, to realize how, you know, how good of a chain or, or how good the value is on the chain itself. I, I've used Solana a few times, and, you know, the transactions are fast. They are essentially uh, free to transact because the transaction cost was so low, uh, and uh, they are, you know, they, they just provide a whole new experience uh, that you, you would not experience with, with Ethereum. Um, you know, Ethereum, if you use Ethereum in transactions in the past six months to a year, you know it's slow uh it is costly. At least you're paying fifteen dollars or more in gas fees, even no matter what your transaction size is. And you you definitely pay more with a lot of protocols out there uh that 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 would charge you even higher gas fees. You know on, on DeFi protocols, for example, uh swapping something like Uniswap will probably cost you uh 50, 70 bucks. Um and with other Uh, with other uh, projects, um, you know, if you want to, for example, register your own Ethereum domain, on Ethereum naming services, you probably have to pay a gas fee of $300 to $500 to do that. So, um, it is expensive and very costly and slow. Solana provides a whole new different set of experience. That's one thing. I think you really have to try it yourself to, to realize how uh, interesting or, or cool or uh, different another chain is. Um, second thing I would say is it's a bet on the, the team and the ecosystem and the people who are innovating and building in this space. Your, uh, I think it's really important to realize that uh, your chain, your, chain is, your smart chain, it's only to be a blockchain it's only as valuable as everything that's built on top of it right uh, You could have the fastest blockchain out there and every blockchain claim to be faster than ethereum nowadays but if it does not have users it does not have stakeholders does not have people building projects on top of your smart contract it is not worth very much with, with Solana, uh, with Ethereum, first with Ethereum, what made it so valuable is because there are thousands of dApps built on it. They are thousands of VC investors uh, that have invested billions of dollars on these dApps that build on top of Ethereum. Uh, they are layer two projects that are worth billions in protocol values that are dedicated to solve the problems. That Ethereum Layer One has, with so much value, so much talent, so much resources being spent and invested in the Ethereum ecosystem, uh, it holds a very reasonable assumption that it it would be a very valuable protocol to to use to have, because all the value that it's able to capture on its on its uh, protocol, right? With Solana, we start to see the same thing. Now they are. Perhaps not thousands yet, but there are at least hundreds of apps uh, that built uh, that are built on Ethereum. We we saw Ethereum, uh, sorry Solana, and they are different projects being launched on Solana on a consistent basis. Uh, they are NFTs, they are DeFi's. Not only that, on top of it, we see some of the most influential people investing in Solana and its ecosystem. Now that includes. Uh, SPF, uh, Sam, uh, uh, Bank, uh, Fried, who is the founder of FTX, one of the largest crypto exchanges out there. Uh, we've seen uh, investors funding different projects that are built solely on Solana chain, uh, similar to what we've seen with the early investors who invested in the DApps on the, on the Ethereum blockchain. So. Uh all these hold together, I think it, it makes a case that uh, Solana would become um, a growing ecosystem for new users into the space and they're growing fast and as long as they keep up with their growth rate and keep innovating in the Solana blockchain, they might have a chance with Rivaling Ethereum in the future, being the number three blockchain or maybe even the number two blockchain. Um, so, you know, that's for the future, the future to tell.
0: I think that's very well said. Thank you so much, Edward. Like, yeah, I 100% agree with uh, what you said, and I really like. Customer acquisition? Because at the end of the day, if no it one really uses it, it is it, it really innovation, innovation, is innovation or is it. is it just an idea? Because adoption is like the true innovation here. And making it very user-friendly, having the right timing for customer adoption is really what makes and breaks the project. Like a lot of people compare um, like the crypto-verse right now with the dot-com bubble in the early 2000s. And to an extent, yes, it's quite similar, but the thing is that of the like the companies that actually have true fundamentals survived the dot-com bubble and still became one of the largest thing that is happening right now. Like 20 years later, um, a lot of the ideas at that time were too early or had no customer adoption or didn't have the right framework and infrastructure yet. So it came about 10 years after the dot-com bubble. But regardless, it still created like such an enormous. Um, value for the world that it just gained so much money in general so i think um that's what is going to happen to crypto as well like everything is kind of a cycle and we're going to see this new cycle the rise of the decentralized universe and um we might end up living in the science fiction world uh in terms of like Investments, uh, would you say that you would put more in Ethereum or would you put more in Solana or like a competitor? Like, which one do you believe more or do you think it's best to diversify?
1: I think with any investment, it, it's really important to diversify uh, because you certainly don't want to put all the eggs in one basket, especially um, if that basket could fail very miserably. Um, the bet on uh, Bitcoin Ethereum is uh, easier to explain. Um, Bitcoin being how decentralized it is and being that it is an internationally uh, recognizable store of value as a narrative. Um, I would say, you know, betting on it, uh, the risk of Bitcoin failing, uh, you know, having a security risk or double spend problem or something like that, it's severely low. So uh, I think based on this, y- you could reasonably give it a higher allocation in your portfolio because the, the risk of, of, you know, let's say, for example, comparing to Apple, for example, right, the risk of Apple having an issue uh, that, you know, really devastate the share price, that plummet the, the share price, it's much, um, fundamentally, it's much higher than Bitcoin doing that because, you know, Bitcoin is so decentralized, no one party controls it, no one government can, uh, you know, put in regulations that would devastate it. We've seen in the summer, um, different governments issued, um, you know, anti-crypto policies but that didn't kill Bitcoin and Bitcoin survived. Uh, many, many attempts attempts like this over the course of his lifetime. So I think based on that, you know, Bitcoin, it, we can give it a higher allocation because, you know, when use the quotation mark, how safe it is compared to other assets in terms of just one uh, failure point that could, you know, that's the whole thing. Ethereum, I, I view it as a similar, um, you know, similar regard. But of course, uh, it's, um, you know, I guess you could say it's less secure than Bitcoin. However, because there are already hundreds and thousands of apps and and, and people investing and using and building on it every day, um, being a layer one protocol, the risk of uh, every project on it failing, the risk of every project failing on it uh, is there, right? But the risk of every project on it failing at the same time. It's very low. So, um, having that, having said that, I think um, you know Ethereum is also uh, safe in that regard because no one thing can just kill Ethereum overall, right? And Ethereum, uh, it's also a resilient smart contract. Uh, its system is it, built in a way that it, it had never. Uh, you know, have any significant hacks that really uh, diminish its value over the course of its lifetime. Um, And also, uh, you know, I think with Ethereum, the biggest risk is probably a transition from proof of work to proof of stake, to ETH 2.0. If that transition goes wrong, you know, Ethereum could really um, lose a lot of its value. So that's the biggest risk I see with Ethereum. With any other... Uh, layer ones it's like the case for ethereum but um, a more risky proposition because true with solana even with solana there could be thousands and hundreds of dApps building on it already so uh it's it, you know you could use the same argument as i used for ethereum however it is a relatively new chain uh and it does have um, you know, a younger history than the Ethereum, so a lot of things that you know other chains have survived, uh, Solana might have not. So, um, with Solana, you know, I think back in the summer, Solana chain was done, uh, it was done for like uh, a day and a half. Now, that was a huge problem technically with Ethereum, with Solana. And you know, that sort of things can still happen for Solana and it will probably not happen for ETH. With other protocols, if you're gonna invest in other uh, you know, token, that project-based tokens, like for example, a GameFi token protocol, um, uh, a DeFi protocol, right? Uh, if you're gonna invest in any of those uh, projects, the risk of the, the chance of it's failing, I would say it's moderate to high in the long run. Uh, Like I said, many altcoins and these crypto projects don't end up surviving from cycle to cycle. So with these projects, you got to manage your risk. You can't have, you know, your entire net worth invested in a single protocol. And just because you believe so much about this GameFi protocol, um, one, one black swan event, could wipe out the whole thing, right? And we've seen that happen in the past. Uh, You know, for example, with DeFi protocols, any of the DeFi protocols, it's at risk for regulations. Um, You know, Bitcoin and Ethereum being how decentralized they are, um, no government can shut it down. No regulators can say, Gotta stop uh, Ethereum or uh, uh, Bitcoin. We gotta take it down. They can't do that. It doesn't work that way. But with the DeFi protocol, there's a CEO, there's a uh, there's a chief marketing officer, there a core development team. Any and, and mostly it's a centralized team. So any regulators could easily go after go after these individuals and and cease the protocol and shut it down if they want to. Um, and of course. Many different protocols are also prone to hacks. Whenever a hack happens, you know sometimes the value of the protocol end up never going back to its golden day because how devastating it had been for the chain and all the users that had put their money on the protocol. So uh, with any of these individual chains or smaller projects, they're more at risk for uh, you know let's call it the risk of ruins are are quite high, you know, over time projected over the long run. So you really gotta manage your risk there. So that's my my take on the portfolio allocations based on you know the risk of assets. I'll say based on the risk of ruins. You know, if the risk of ruins in one shot it's low, you can give it a higher allocation. If the risk of ruin in one shot is high, then you should probably manage your risk very carefully.
0: Hmm. That's very well said actually I 100% agree with that and I I also think like hackers are actually great for the ecosystem As terrible things that they do and steal other people's money Um, but as as early adopters that's one of the risks we're taking on by going in early but you could take the 10x opportunities Um, but like hackers can help you determine if these protocols are legit or strong you know like just like how viruses make humans develop a better immune system it's the same thing but yeah i think this was a great session um like amazing things that were said thank you so much for joining our podcast today edward i definitely learned a lot and i hope our audience did as well um any last words before we end the podcast
1: yeah and thanks um i think the last words that i want to add it's about uh you know different uh, crypto projects that we just spoke about right uh you know these altcoins um one key thing to remember is um you know your risk for being in these protocols, these altcoins might not even be compensated in, in your returns. You know, if you look at different altcoins and see their performance over against Ethereum, for example, many, many altcoins actually lose value over time against Ethereum, which means, which means you're taking on higher risk and not getting compensated for it. And that is a really a losing proposition because why would you why would you ever want to do that? Right, A smart thing to do would be arbitrage away your risk by just holding Ethereum over time because Ethereum has lower risk and better returns. So why would you want to be in a project or altcoin that has um, higher risk but offers lower comparable returns compared to ethereum right it it doesn't make any sense so it's really important that when you choose an altcoin to invest or you're doing research for alcoin look at its performance against ethereum over time look at if it it's able to hold even hold its valuation against ethereum over time because majority of the tokens and altcoins out there do not they have an initial pump they you know because of the initial hype They got to a a really solid valuation against Ethereum. And then they started losing traction. They started losing value. And over time, it can even plummet as much as 99% against Ethereum. So um, that's a key thing to remember, I think. Not all altcoins will give you higher returns than Ethereum because that's one of the things new market entrants um, want to... Uh, one of the reasons new market entrants wanted to invest in altcoins because they think if Ethereum uh, cannot go 10x anymore, I got to find the next altcoin that go 100x, right? Uh, it's true, some altcoins may have that initial period of going 100x in a very short period of time, but does it hold this value time? In many cases,
0: they don't. Yeah. I think that's very well said. Thank you so much for the wrap-up message. Uh, But yeah, have a great weekend, Edward. And this is the new finance podcast from Dark Bite Research. Have a great day.
1: Thank you, Anne. See you next time.